millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning, Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan on this Thursday morning. How are you all doing? I've been talking to some of the team here this morning and we were just saying it's that time of the year where the, the, the jazz of Christmas is gone, we're getting into the new year and there's a little bit of a lull. So hopefully uh, we'll be able to lift your spirits a little bit this morning with some of the topics that we have on the show this morning. Unfortunately, um, we do have that, all the newspapers have it this morning on the front pages is that awful um, killing of that 22-year-old girl, Ashley Murphy, who um, died after an apparent attack in Tullamore last night. And, you know, I just think, I heard the story this morning, I've been listening to it all morning on the radio, and it's just so horrific to think that somebody went to an area that's known for um, people going out walking and, and cycling and running, and she was going out at four o'clock in the afternoon. It was still bright outside, um, and you would imagine that uh, it's a safe place to go, and her life was tragically taken away away from her and we will be going live to Tullamore later on this hour to get an update on that story and just our thoughts are with her family and friends this morning. Also coming up in the show later, the lotto uh, rollover, the jackpot has been going now since uh, June. It's 19 million euro, hasn't been won. There's been a lot of talk about this rollover and uh, there's been claims that it's been fixed and whatever else but the lot, the National Lottery are claiming now that this will be won it's a guarantee win this weekend and we'll be catching up with the National Lottery later to find out what is going on there and why that is. Uh, but first uh, we've heard an awful lot about staff shortages because of the pandemic and because of people who are deemed close contacts who are, have contracted COVID, COVID and are out of work and the difficulties that this is causing for many many sectors across uh, the society and one of those is the um, schools and indeed the preschools and joining me now is Irene from Generation Education in Glanton. Irene good morning. Good morning. Irene uh, you took to Facebook the other day to say that uh, your first day back after Christmas was the other day and it was an absolute nightmare for staff. Uh, Just tell us what happened. 
Yes, so we, on the first term of the school year, was very challenging um, as it was for staff to manage the staff absences and meet ratios and do everything that we do on a daily basis with um, less staff that we should. And we, just before Christmas, we ha- I hired two new staff in November and then another girl that was starting um, this week. And so that would have brought my team up to 11 people, which will fully cover or numbers, the ratios, and even have relief staff to account for for all the absences that are always going to happen on on any business. Mm. Um, but then Monday came, and I actually had only four staff on for the day to 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 reopen on our first day back when we had pretty much full attendance of the children. And um, like to be honest, the, the, all the three months before Christmas, the staff had been really really um understanding and really flexible and they they've been always very supportive and they there hasn't been there hasn't been any complaints from them they went through the whole three months with a smile on their faces and always saying that they you know they will get through it and the new year will bring something better and then on monday they were faced with that um and at the end of the day i just felt like it just it it just can't continue like this anymore what kind of challenges do these staff shortages bring to the staff who are there working on the day you said there was four staff in like what kind yes. of challenges did they face on monday well for starters they they need to do overtime so they need they need to do more than eight, uh, more than they their 8 hours a day then they have to juggle their their own breaks because um obviously the children that are staying there after after 12 p.m. after or ECC session finishes, they need to be looked after. They, the the meals need to be prepared. The food needs to be cooked. The food needs to be brought to them to the rooms. They in it's just it, it really makes it really difficult when there is that um, that challenging um, number of staff compared to the number of children that we have that we have coming into the morning and. Um, the staff really are very appreciative of the, the the situation that we are all living, and we realize that staff shortages are across all sectors. But um, it makes it really difficult for them to go through the day where we don't have enough staff to meet the ratios and and do everything that we need to do. And given the nature of your work, I'm sure you you can't really close because there are many parents who are back to work themselves and they're depending on your service. Exactly. And we do want to support, um, you know, all the parents going back to work. And we do we have wanted that since um, since the first lockdown and we were always open to um to care for children of essential workers and all my staff have always volunteered to do everything that they could even um the staff were volunteering to to care for the children in, in a private in a private setting and um they, they've always been very supportive but um it, it's it's come to a point that this week i had to reduce opening hours um to in order to for the children to still come in but uh, we just could then manage the the full the full operation hours with uh, so many children and so little staff. And I'm sure parents understand, but it's putting them in a really inconvenient position themselves then, because then obviously they can't work if they have nobody to mind their children. Exactly, and because also when when you have a child in childcare, you expect that the centre is always going to be reliable and they're always going to be there. You know, mm. when when it comes to a point where I'm, I'm having to ask. Uh, parents to to bring their children later or collect them early and to be honest like all of them have been so so supportive and before Christmas we got loads of um, lovely cards with 
um, lovely words from all the parents and they're always texting and I, I even after my post on Facebook um, I had parents texting me to say that they were happy to to keep the children at home if we were under pressure. I had parents um, asking to volunteer if we needed anything, you know, so they have been really amazing. But we are tied down in, in, in regards to what the people that we can bring in to help as well, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is mainly what it needs to be relaxed a little bit, that we are allowed to bring um, reliable and people that we trust just to give a, a little hand with, with the small things that... Um, that we need throughout the day um, just to have a little bit of help there when when staff um, challenges are so, so big. Irene, you put a post up on Facebook. You said that we are reaching our limit. We are overwhelmed. We don't know how much longer we can do our job like this. My staff are exhausted, burnt out. As a manager, I am desperate. And you said that you were reaching out to TD's Minister Taoiseach and Tánishta. Did anybody get back to you? I got automatic replies from all of them. Like I have to say that I did get um, a reply from somebody in in the office of each of them, um, saying that they acknowledge the email as they will deal with this in due course. And there was some that simply said that they had forwarded the email to the appropriate department. But as of today, I haven't really gotten any other response than that. So if anybody is listening this morning to the opinion line um, on ninety six FM, what would you like to say to them? I would just like to say that um, we, uh, childcare providers, we we need help. We need help to staff the centres. We need help to um, meet our ratios. We need help to continue to to open and support our parents because at the end of the day, that is all that we want to do. We want to support our parents to go back to work and we want to care for the children in the way that they deserve. But in order to do that, we need um, an appropriate amount of staff and we need the, the regulations and, and the process around getting new staff to be a little bit more relaxed when it comes to a, an emergency t- situation where you almost see yourself like the, the, the thing that you should be doing is close your doors but we don't want to do that anymore because we've been closed for long enough and parents need to go back to work and children need to be with other children and need to be in education. Okay, Irene from Generation Education in Downtown. Thank you so much for joining us. You might keep in touch with us and let us know if anybody gets back to you, if any TDs or ministers get back to you about this situation. Um, and is there anybody else out there who is working in the childcare sector or in the schools or are there any parents affected by these staff shortages or indeed staff shortages affecting anybody in any business across the city and county today? Let us know our new number 0818 96 96 96. The text or WhatsApp is 083 3396 or you can email us opinion at 96fm.ie Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With McCarthy Insurance Group Call in person or call them now They don't just talk the talk They walk the walk CMIG.ie we're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this.
Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Welcome back. This is Fiona Corcoran sitting in for PJ Coogan today. I'm just looking out the window there. I did hear in the news that there was um, or that there is a fog warning for the Munster region and um, I do see a bit of fog out there so if you are out driving this morning and you're in fog don't forget to turn on your lights. Now uh, we were speaking there to Irene from Generation Education about how staff shortages are affecting them in the preschool sector but um, the staff shortages are also affecting the army. Shelley Cotter is with the WPDF which is an organisation supporting the Defence Forces and their families. Good morning Shelley. Good morning, Fiona. How are you? Shelley, um, how are staff shortages affecting you, the, the Army and the Defence Forces with regards to uh, providing meals? Well, there was a piece by Sean O'Reardon in the Examiner yesterday and we were delighted to see it. Mm. It's been highlighting something that we've been shouting about for about four years now and that's the fact that the Defence Force members, Army, Navy and Air Corps, have an, a, a food allowance when they're on duty, when they're at sea. And this is substantially less than what a prisoner in one of the prisons in Ireland would get. Um, what is it? From what exactly? You would have thought it would have been the other way around. <clears throat> hmm. So at the moment, members of the DF will get four euros twenty allowance a day. That's for your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner um, and your supper. Um, but the def- in the prisons, they get roughly, I mean, it is roughly, it's about 6.20 to 6.30. So it's a two euro difference, which is 50% again of what the defence forces get. It is demoralising. It's one of a myriad of problems. Why is it so low, Shelley? Why, why are they only getting that? Sorry. Because they're held on a contract, Fiona. And this is the problem. This is the absolute crux of the problem of the defence forces. Um they're held by a contract that is binding. It, 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 it gags them. They're not allowed to speak to the public about it. This is, we call it a proud hidden secret. It's absolutely disgusting. Now, if you had a member of the Defence Forces onto you here, rightly wanting to tell you about the work ethic, about how they're being treated, about the contract, they'd be instantly dismissed. That's how tight the contract is. And... So, yeah, like you were saying there that it's what, is it four? Yeah. Sorry, the line is a bit bad there, is it? 420. 420. 420 for Defence Force members. So, you know, if you're talking six euros then for a prisoner, you know, the men and women know this. They know that they're pulling 16, sometimes 18, 20 hour days in the Defence Forces at sea or on duty 24 hour and they're only allowed this towards their meal. Mm. You know, it's but as I said, it is a large mirage of problems. It truly, truly is. Um, and Shelley, had, just to be clear, when you say the 420 is a, for a meal for a person, but is that um, that's for three meals a day, is it? Four, four. It's four for their breakfast, lunch, dinner and supper. So when you're working on a duty, it's a 24 hour duty. When you're working at sea, you could be working up to any 18, 19, 20 hour days. So that is to cover every meal you eat, as you can imagine, when you're on duty or when you're at sea. Certainly when you're at sea on a ship, there's physically no way you can just stop at a shop. You have to buy in at that amount and feed the crew. Um, Fergal is just telling me here that the UN costs 
the four the UN uh, says that the four meals usually cost ten. Yeah, ten thirty. So when our men and women were down in the Mediterranean. Um, they would have got an allowance of six euros thirty to pay per head, um, and there was big fanfare and aren't they wonderful giving them six thirty a head? Whereas the United Nations state, you should be feeding your personnel ten euros thirty a head. So look, it really is disgusting. But this has been raised by the University of Limerick in two thousand and seventeen, Fiona. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an, an anonymous survey. Our men and women actually spoke truthfully to them. When it was released, there was huge fanfare. Everybody was in disgust. And we had the Public Sector Pay Commission set up to look into everything that was said. This then came out. Again, we're back to words, no change. Yet another commission and inquiry set up. This is a constant turnover. There is no change. So we're hemorrhaging staff. Absolutely hemorrhaging. It's horrific how many are leaving. And add to this, There's another contract bind that said if you joined after 94 and you haven't reached a certain level, they will kick you out next year. So they have a decimated defence forces being treated abysmally and they will actually throw out healthy, fit men and women who want to serve because they haven't reached something in their contract. The mind boggles. The mind boggles. And Shelley, this, as you say, has been going on now for, for many, many years and it's, uh, yes. has it been made worse now? Like you're talking there about staff shortages. Um, has that been made worse by the pandemic? Uh, no, the, the hemorrhaging started before the pandemic. If anything, I feel, well, the, the foot was taken off the accelerator in the fact of the news that obviously, and this is understandable, there was other things happening Mm. Um, and they're affected everybody else, not just the defence forces, but across all sectors, as you spoke to just there yourself, you know, schooling, preschools, just the whole myriad of people. So, yeah, it, what has compounded is the fact that it's gone silent and the only power we had and the defence forces had was that it was public. You mentioned so there about, the, done that. The, about the, the effect that this is having on, on children and, and the family. Um, like, How does yeah. it impact on the family exactly? We've always said that the Defence Force families are working poor. So we have men and women, they're working, they're working longer hours, they're working harder jobs because there's so many people leaving, Fiona. Mm. They literally are having to double and triple job. So for the same wage, mm. um, hours, So you have working poor. Now, with the Defence Forces, certainly with the Navy and with any duty that anybody does in the Army, you have to have somebody at home if you're away for four weeks. You have to have somebody at home if you're on a 24-hour duty. But obviously, like the rest of the country, you have to have a double working family. Having a stay-at-home mom or Mm. dad is not an option. So childcare is another crippling thing more so because of short notice duties now, short notice mum or dad going away to cover Port Leash, the jails in Port Leash, to cover all these things because we don't have the numbers that you are given this short notice. It's no longer a case of you can put it in your diary and plan. It's just, it's crippling and families and children are suffering. And I'm sure it's very worrying for the partner who thinks that, you know, their their loved one is out at sea or away with the army and um, they're not getting fed properly. And, uh, you know, there's already that whole stress of them being apart as it is, but then having this added worry as well must be very difficult to deal with. 
So my husband has 31 years served in the Naval Service. Mm. My son is currently on his 10th. Um, so they go away for long periods of time. Um, and I w- I'm, I'm going to put this out there. It's the department and it's the Department of Defence that we have the issue with, with the money. I just need to say that naval personnel, army cooks, they, they're superb and they really do well with what they have. Mm. You know, they've overcome, they've adjusted, our personnel are fed. Now, it mightn't be to everybody's taste, but at the same time, they genuinely have had to pull out all the stops, certainly when they're at sea for four weeks at a time to keep the, because obviously on a ship, if the crew is happy fed, Mm. the crew is happy led. Um, But I think our biggest worry is family, is their mental health, is the pull that having so much extra work and responsibility on what is already a tight rope, that's playing a huge effect. And then it's a knock-on effect at home. They don't want to be this way when they get home, but it's very hard to turn off when this is what's happening 24-7. How did you feel when your son said he was going to enter the Defence Forces? Truthfully, I Mm. bawled. I absolutely bawled and I tried to convince him not to go. My husband tried to convince him not to go. Sadly, this was his dream since... Well, since he could actually say that this is what he wanted to do. Mm. Um, So, look, I laid it all on the line, as you can well imagine. He was living the life we were living. He knew exactly how it was. He was entering in a contract that was crippling, whereas my husband is in an older, better contract. Mm. Um, But I just said, the day we signed him in, he said, "Um, I will prove you wrong and that he has done. He's done leaps and bounds. He's been promoted. He's thriving. But he lives in Cove. You've yeah. got to think of what about a boy with this or a girl, sorry, with this in, say, from Dublin. And this is their dream, too. And they also could thrive like my son. But they can't afford to. They can't come down, sign into the Irish Naval Service. As you well know, Cork is a high capped rent area zone. Um on their wage, they can't rent a home. So instead, they have to live on board a ship or on board the base, which currently doesn't have any space. So then their mental health is they're working and living on board a ship. Mm. They leave. They leave so fast, Fiona, because it's not healthy for anybody. And again, that's compounding the situation. It's just, it's it's a circle. It's a hamster wheel. Um, and words and commissions and inquiries aren't fixing it. It's such a shame really, isn't it? I mean, like there was one time where it was such a, a badge of honour to be in the Defence Forces and now you have people saying that uh, they don't want to enter because of the conditions. It's just awful. It's, it's, it's you know, we've got our um, national pride. We are amazing at peacekeeping. Mm-hmm. We have an amazing Defence Forces. WPDF have always maintained this. We're extremely proud of the men and women but they've lost the pride in themselves. And when they realise that, yes, it's one thing you being able to get more money in civvy world. And we've always known that lowest paid public pay sector. But it's the pride they're gaining from working in civvy world. And that's the pity. It's not words, there's mm-hmm. actions. And I mean, everybody here um, is so proud of the work that they've done, particularly when they were working out in the Mediterranean, you know, and it's such efficiency, compassion and skills. So, you know, best of luck to everybody in the Defence Forces and Shelley, to you and your family as well. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see some change this year. Maybe this is the year for change. (laughs) Well, 
I would love to say we're holding out, but years of being battered, I'm afraid we're, we're, we're kind of not holding our breath. But I appreciate the call and thank you for asking us. And thank you very much for joining us this morning. That was Shelley Cotter from the WPDF on the opinion line on 96FM. Mick has been in touch to say there are three Navy ships that are not going out to sea as they don't have enough people on board each ship. Last I heard, there was only five on each ship, which is way, way below the minimum level. The government is treating them like dirt. Thank you for that, Mick. And if you've got any other comments in relation to that or anything else that we've been talking to, you can get in touch on our new number 0818 96 96 96 or you can text or WhatsApp to 0833 96 96 96. Now, I was reading a survey yesterday and it was from a company called Fit Pink and it was um, asking women in particular about their um, resolutions for 2022 and top of the list was learning about mindfulness and that came in ahead of the gym. And I was also looking at Shirley Keegan. Um, she's a holistic therapist here in Cork at her Instagram page and she's been talking about finding inner peace. Shelley, why are words like mindfulness, inner peace, um, all kind of the, the buzzwords it seems for January 2022? Good morning. Good morning, Fiona. Um yeah, they, they have really come to the surface because I think the level of stress that people are under has become really magnified, particularly in the last two years with changes, you know, in our work practices, in how we interact with each other. Mm. And I think people are realizing that physical fitness in isolation is not sufficient um, and you laid in lovely, actually, when you said the holistic therapies. Yeah. So where that word comes from, holistic, it's actually a Greek, wor- Greek word, holus, meaning the complete or the whole person. And I think when you do something, you know, like mindfulness, you're treating um, the full segments, physical as well, even though you're not moving, mm. um, because the physical body is made up of organs, you know, like the adrenal glands and stuff like that, that contribute hugely to stress. So I think there's an awakening. And what about inner peace? I mean, when you talk about inner peace, what exactly is it? Is it, um, you know, I mean, like we can all try and find a couple of minutes during the day to find calm. Is that is that the same thing? <laughs> it's a little bit. I always think of, you know, when people even think about meditation, mm. like I think it's a pity that we have this, um, vision of somebody sitting cross-legged, you know, with their middle finger and their tongue joined because that, that kind of isolates a whole group. So inner peace can be found really by taking little snippets of moments. So anybody that's listening to this, that's kind of feeling maybe a little chaotic or that this feels like there's a lot of stress or disturbance in their life. If you start even something as simple as if you decide you're going to have a cup of tea or coffee and you're boiling the kettle, for that minute or however long it takes the kettle to boil, if you could just stand at the worktop and pay full attention to that moment, like that would be the start of mindfulness. But Mm -hmm. from the point of view of inner peace, where I think you can get really the low-hanging fruit is starting with, comparison um like most people are comparing their lives to somebody else they're comparing their lives to what they expected it to be and you know that very well used phrase um comparison is the thief of joy Mm. 
And I think that's where a lot of the disturbance comes in. People feel then that they're not good enough. The car isn't good enough. Their house isn't good enough. Their body isn't good enough. So I think there's two things. First of all, stop the comparison. And secondly, stop people pleasing. So the, the comparison, first of all, like is a lot of that coming from social media where we see people living these fantastic lives on social media and we think, oh my God, you look around your house and it's an absolute tip and you look at yourself and you're an absolute disgrace and you're like, what, 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 what's going wrong in my life? <laughs> that is so true. Like I'm only on Instagram two years and mm. I'll never forget when I started recording, I was really uncomfortable because I realized for the first time that my teeth were yellow. <laughs> now, when I say yellow, you know, they're not white. Yeah. And I'd be looking at all these other people and I was like, it took me a while to accept myself as I am. And obviously then when people look at me, they, actually, when people look at me, the most thing they see is my hair. So, you know, that was something that I I hadn't even been aware of. Mm. But it is, and, and even for the likes of me, so I come on every day, I do a little bit of, you know, kind of trying little nuggets of wisdom. But like once I come off that, I might be tying my hair up and going hoovering the house. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't sit every day, you know, contemplating the world and how we can live easier. So you're right. And social media... I suppose for the likes of me, thankfully, I grew up without it. I was a grandmother, really, by the time I came to social media. So I'm not as highly influenced. But I feel really, really sorry for younger people because everything on it is picture perfect. And even if the person isn't picture perfect, the apps will make it so. And the people that come to you, are you noticing that since the pandemic, and you sp- you spoke about it a little bit there at the very start of the conversation, that, you know, we've had to change the way we work. A lot of the, um, over the last two years, we've been working from home. And for a lot of people, they've been trying to work from home. They've been trying to manage their home. They've been trying to maybe look after the kids as well. And there just seems to be like a chaos in, in our lives at the minute. And are people coming to you saying that? Have you noticed an increase in the amount of people who are saying things like that to you? Yeah, and it's really interesting. It's a great point because a lot of people who are coming to me now would have been coming to me previously and would have disliked their drive and would have been, you know, looking for the option to work from home. Mm. But the reality is, particularly for women, working from home is very difficult because being the natural homemakers, they're trying to care for kids, they're trying to mind the house, and they have none of the time out. So no matter how stressful your job is, it's still a break from the routine at home. And I think that it has, it has really stressed a lot of people. There are people finding it very difficult to cope. Mm. And what I would love to say here to anyone that's listening is that it's really common because the hardest thing for people is thinking that they're failing, thinking that they're failing their family, they're failing themselves And they're not. There are loads of people out there feeling exactly the same. So it's really normal. That doesn't make it easier for Mm. the challenges, but it's just important to know that for anybody that's feeling that, it's quite okay to say it to me, to say it to a friend, even to say it to your work colleague or your boss. Because, you know, companies have to look at it differently as well. Like if you're at home and the children, you know, are sent home from school for whatever reason, Like 
the work environment has to accept that you're a victim of that circumstance, you know, and you can't ignore a six-year-old child coming into the room asking mm. for a snack. But like there has been some great stories and I don't know, you've probably seen the clips as well on social media where children have walked into rooms of people who are on Zoom calls and that. And I do think that the general response has been one of a softness, you know, that this is the real world that we live in now. Mm. So Shirley, um, what advice would you give to people? Like, can they get in touch with you um, for, a, uh, you know, a consultation or, or anything like that? Or what advice would you give to people? Well, the first piece of advice I would say is reach out to somebody for anybody that is struggling. And there is no um, comparison when it comes to our level of anxiety, overwhelm or grief. So nobody has it worse than anyone else. Each person's experience is their experience on their level. So the first thing is to reach out. If somebody is in my vicinity and want to come to me, I would love to have a chat with them. I would love to see them. Um, so I do have a website and mm. it's www.shirleykeegan.ie. And for anybody, like I don't know the catchment area that might feel that they're too far away to come. I do life coaching and we can do that over Zoom and I do distance healing. But there will be people in their area as well. So I often get people that reach out and say, you're too far away from me. Mm. Can you recommend somebody? And where I can, I will. Because I absolutely believe there is enough for all of us. You know, we don't have to be trying to funnel everybody into one location. And I also believe that we find the person that's right for us. You know, sometimes mm. people will arrive to me and they might say, oh, I should have come six months ago when I was thinking about it. But I always say you arrive at exactly the right time. Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us on The Opinion Line. That was Shirley Keegan on The Opinion Line this morning. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmerie. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10 with Griffin's Potatoes. Make the perfect chip at home with their chipping potatoes. Once you taste them, you'll be back for more. Now in store. Corks 96FM. I spoke at the start of the show about that horrific murder in Tullamore in County Offaly. And joining me now is Deputy Head of News at Midlands 103, Ellen Butler. Good morning, Ellen. Good morning, Fiona. Ellen, this is such a shocking story. Can you just bring us up to speed with what's been happening? Yeah, Fiona, look, it's, there's a feeling of real disbelief in the town this morning. Um, you know, many people waking up to the news that um, this woman has been tragically killed uh, on what a, a hugely popular walkway just uh, just outside the town of Tullamore, um, literally, you know, you know, 100 metres from the town centre, really. Mm. Um, so, you know, I suppose news kind of broke. Yesterday afternoon, um, a cordon would have gone up just sort of, I suppose, as the walkway began in the town centre onwards towards the Cap and Kerr area, which is out on the outskirts of the town. And then, of course, you know, some speculation as to what had happened, that there was an attack. 
So it would have been about maybe 10 to 7 yesterday evening that Gardaí did confirm there was a serious assault. And then it was about 20 to 8 last night that um, they did that confirmation of that awful news came through that it was a fatal attack and, and a woman in her early 20s had been killed. Um, so since then, that, that woman has been named here locally. She is Ashling Murphy, aged 22, uh, a primary school teacher uh, from Tull- the Tullamore area and teaching in Juro National School, which is just outside the town as well. Uh, and looked at just absolute shock and disbelief that this could have happened at about four o'clock in the evening, which is the, this was the most disturbing thing that it was, you know, the light, I suppose, was beginning to fade at that point. But it was, you know, quite early in the day, uh, a busy, a busy time when people would have been finished work in school and would have been using the area. And of course, you know, Gardaí seemed to believe it was a random attack that that the, the man that is currently being held in custody, a man in his 40s, uh, was not known to, to Ashling. And he is in custody at the minute, is that right? Yeah, correct. He was arrested shortly after the incident in the area um, and by, by Gardaí and he was taken to Tullamore Gardaí Station where he remains this morning and is being questioned. Now, of course, we haven't heard a whole lot uh, about him since, mm. but uh, Gardaí in Tullamore are actually holding a press conference at half ten this morning okay. at the scene um, just, just outside Tullamore Town, so I'm sure we'll get a lot more information then. And of course, I suppose like there, this is all going to be investigated by Gardaí and everything at the minute is just alleged. And, you know, we'll, we'll obviously hear more about this. And uh, yeah. Ellen, just the walkway, it's called uh, Fiona's Way and it's in memory of missing woman Fiona Pender, um, which I suppose makes this incident even more poignant. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's a kind of, I suppose, a sad irony that some people are noticing now this morning. Um, as you say, that that area of the, of the walkway is named in Fiona's honour. Um, Fiona was 25 herself when she went missing from Tullamore in 1996. So look, I suppose people walking along there would often think of her because there is a kind of stone memorial at the beginning of the walk. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's just harrowing to think that, you know, the, the, the area is now associated with such an awful tragedy, another awful tragedy. And obviously it's shocked everybody across the country here today, but uh, what's the atmosphere like in Tullamore? Yeah, look, we were out in the house earlier on. It's quiet enough, you know, people are just kind of, there is that sense of disbelief that this could happen because, you know, myself, even as a blow into Tullamore, mm-hmm. I know it is a very friendly, very warm town and you just, I suppose it's subjective, but you would always feel safe in the area. So just the fact that it happened so early in the the day and it was random, people are still kind of coming to terms with that. But uh, of course, you know, Ashling herself was quite well known. Um, As I say, she was from the area and teaching in the area, but also uh, a musician herself, a traditional musician and and involved in Colfus and musical circles. So, you know, she'd be very well known. So a lot of people are... You know, there's still a kind of raw shock and, and really coming to terms with what has happened because it is, I suppose, still early days. Uh, and of course, you know, condolences to the family. People are, you know, anyone we've been speaking to are just they're saying their hearts are going out to, to the family and the, those who knew her. Yes, and her dad was a well-known musician in the area as well, wasn't he? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, the family would be really well-known and... and you know, well-respected. And of course, you know, there's a a number of communities, uh, you know, if you like, kind of coming to terms with this now this morning. 
Helen, um, you're, you're, you're mentioned that, that there will be a press conference in the next hour and I'm sure we're going to hear more about this case over the, the coming days and weeks. Thank you so much. It must be awful reporting on this case. I know it's not easy to report on a murder um, case and thank you very much for taking the time to, to come on and talk to us about the situation. Thank you. That was Ellen Butler from uh, Midlands 103, Deputy Head of News at Midlands 103. That horrific, horrific case of um, the death of Ashley Murphy up in Tullamore in County Offaly. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 969696. 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Mine with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona Corcoran in for PJ Coogan. Today on this Thursday, the, uh, what date is it? The 13th of January um, into the second week of January and um, we've been talking a little bit this morning about mindfulness and finding inner peace and um, Clodagh Finn has been writing in the examiner about how we should be embracing the great outdoors. Clodagh, um, embracing the great outdoors, does this bring us uh, mindfulness and inner peace? Well, when I say embrace the great outdoors, you might feel you have to trek up a mountain or something. (laughs) What I mean basically is putting your nose outside the door for 10 minutes while you're having a cup of coffee. I think, you know, in January, everybody has this compulsion or they feel the pressure to transform. You know, there's Mm. been a lot of talk about Operation Transformation and, um, you know, the kind of the pressure on us to be the best you. And I was just thinking um, just over the last two years of lockdown have made me realise there's been a lot of talk about how disconnected we are um, from nature. And I was at this webinar and I was horrified to see that Europeans and Americans, we spend on average 90% of our time in buildings. And Do you remember in the first lockdown, we were all doing our turn around the park and discovering the trees around us Mm. and the birdsong around us and how wonderful that was. And I just kind of my resolution for this year is kind of very simple. It's like more humans, less tech, more outside, less inside, because all the studies show that the benefits are, there are myriad benefits. And I mean, I know looking out the window here today, um, it's it's very foggy out there this morning. The last couple of days, it's been really, really sunny and it's been beautiful, but it has been cold and it's fine to go out for a walk. But if you're sitting outside having a coffee, um, it might not appeal to people because it's so cold. But you were saying in your article that uh, there's no such thing as bad weather. It's just uh, the clothes that we decide to wear. Just inappropriate clothing. Inappropriate clothing. That that phrase is kind of attributed to all the Canadians or the Norwegians or it's it's attributed to anybody who lives in a cold climate. I was just making the point at how amazing it is that we have adapted with such speed to to, um, take up residence on our perch on the outside terrace, you know, like some kind of Parisian boulevardier, Mm. but in a woolly hat, you know. And I suppose that... that it has been such a hard time for cafes and restaurateurs. You know, they've done the best they can. Um, But I used to live in Paris, actually. And Paris, 
the weather is no better in bars than it is here. And they have an outdoor culture and they just have blankets and they have heaters. And I was just making the point, it is actually lovely to be outside. Even if you're looking onto, you know, a car choked road, there's something they've put in trees and they've created um, little green havens that weren't there before. And there's this new awareness of kind of connecting back to nature. And while that sounds all very, very nice and good for us, I suppose I was making the point too that our disconnection with nature is very much the reason for all the problems we're having at the moment because we're so extractive as a race. You know, we've Mm. kind of pillaged the earth. And I was making the point that if we were more connected with how we use the resources, we might be where we are now with the climate crisis, with an ecological crisis and also actually with with a kind of a mental health crisis because all the research shows that um, getting out into nature is very good for our mental, not to mention physical well-being. And Claudia, you speak about biophilia and it's a subject that we spoke about here on the Opinion Line a couple of months ago and biophilic design where people, when they're designing their homes or their their businesses, that they can bring the outdoors in. Um, That is, um, it seems to work for a lot of people. It, well, it, there's studies to show that it works. And I just think we need to, to start talking a little bit more about that. You know, I suppose on the very basic level, um, if you're working in an office, get out for 10 minutes, you know, mm. um, if you're because the way a building is shapes our behavior. Like once we walk through the door of wherever we work, be it a house or an office, you know, you're already condemned to live in a, in a particular way. I'm in the box room now, you know, at, with, at my Zoom, but I have a really bright window, you know, so I suppose I'm conscious of the outside and I try every so often to, to stop. But there's a whole, I don't think it's actually even that new, but there there are a number of architects and sustainability um, experts who are saying, I suppose we're, we're up against the wire now with the cri- a climate crisis, but we really need to think about the materials we use, the um, how much that affects the earth by taking those materials, the people who work those materials. And when you put them into buildings, like how best can you use them for our well-being? So, I mean, employers should, should embrace this with both hands because um, you have happier, more productive, more creative staff. And it's just with a few tweaks, you know, by incorporating biophilic design, which is, in other words, it's connecting people, buildings and nature. And I just thought that really is we really need to start uh, talking in that way now. And I suppose Cork was leading the pack here um, in Ireland when we had so much outdoor um, dining and uh, pedestrianisation here in the city. And um, it seems to have, uh, people were questioning whether or not we'd be able to carry that into the winter, but it seems like we have been able to. It's incredible, isn't it? Mm. Because you never would have thought until we were forced to do it. You know, Fiona, I live in Dunleary and it's absolutely the same. They they did two things which makes the centre of Dunleary so much better. One, a mural artist 
uh, artists were let were let loose, and there's splashes of colour all over the walls in Dunleary, and some of it is lovely because it commemorates the people of the 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 town, if you like. And indeed, so, we have like you know, the, the lovely murals yeah. here in Cork. Yeah created by Ardu and we had them on the show yesterday and they were saying that they've now been mentioned by US Travel Weekly as one of the hot um, places to visit in Europe this year for people to go and see the, the murals and it's it's fantastic addition to the city. Oh, well, I think, yeah, it's very, it, we, I was just saying, it's really time to take the positives out mm. of that, you know, and to really see how we can, with little things, in, improve our environments. Like now, if, when you step out of the car park when I do my shopping, there is a beautiful mural and they have made it into a kind of an outdoor park if you like. You can sit down with benches and they actually have public toilets and they put some trees and bushes around and you this was a kind of a waste ground before and now it's suddenly something else and people are sitting out because as we said there's no such thing as bad weather just mm-hmm. inappropriate clothing. Now you don't want to catch your death of cold either you know we're kind of I think as Irish people you know don't sit in the draft and don't go out with wet hair we're very mm-hmm. aware of you know the dangers of catching your death in, in cold weather but I think there is this is definitely one of the positives um, of the of the pandemic and I really hope that we can just embrace it with both hands even in the littlest ways you know after I speak to you now I hope you put your stick your nose outside the door once you finish <laughs> I'll be going for a big long walk Clodagh Finn from the Irish Examiner listen thank you so much hopefully you get out yourself as well today thanks for joining us on the opinion line this morning now there's been a lot of talk um, about antigen tests and calls for free antigen tests and one pub in Cork City, the Beer Garden in Turner's Cross has been, has come under fire for um, charging a hefty price for antigen test deliveries Um, and joining me now is manager of the Beer Garden, uh, Adam Green. Good morning, Adam. Hi Fiona, how's it going? Good, good. Um, five, €50 for a five pack of Floxfex uh, tests. Adam, why are you charging so much? Um, Well, it's Fifty euro on Deliveroo. Um, their their um, charge is thirty five percent, so that's why it's inflated. Like in our shop, we sell them for thirty euro for five tests, which is six euro, which is around average. You know, um, mm. I've been to pharmacies and locally, and they're seven, eight euro. You know, so um, like initially, we didn't buy the tests to sell. We bought them to protect the staff and to get through Christmas. Um, we spent a couple of thousand euro on tests for staff and they worked. We got through Christmas without having to close and there's a lot of other places that had to close but um, we used the prevention um, mechanism to um, to keep us going mm. and it worked and um, our customers are asking us how we get on with the whole COVID situation and we told them what we were doing and they were asking could they buy some, some from, from us so that's how it all started Um we have one Deliveroo customer who wanted to buy them and that's I explained to him the price will, will be inflated because their um, their fee is 35% of everything we sell. Like if I sold a can of Coke for a euro, Deliveroo mm. will get 35 cents, you know. So there's an extra 17, 18 euro on top of the 30 euro um, that we charge in the shop. So like but the 50 euro includes that. the delivery price then? Uh, it's their fee, yeah. So yeah. Well, there could be an extra delivery charge in that as well. I don't know. You know, okay. sometimes they charge an extra five euro, six euro for the driver. So it could be more again. But 
like our price on Deliveroo's website includes their 35%. So I think a lot of people didn't understand that part of it and that's mm. where the backlash came, do you know? Okay, okay. Were you surprised by the backlash? Um, no, I think, you know, people just want to get on the bandwagon and, you know, I could see what they were looking at was mm-hmm. funny and, you know, a bit, they were a bit angry over it as well at the same time. Yeah. Um, well, I kind of ignored it, but I think yesterday then just kind of blew me away with all the, the phone calls from the media and stuff. I was kind of, I better face this now and tell the truth, you know. I suppose any capitalist would say that the price is right if people are buying. So are are they selling? Are you selling all of these? Um, no, I'm not selling on Deliveroo at all. Uh, mm. One customer only. Um, he was quite happy to sit at home, press a button, get a driver to pick him up from the shop and drop him to his house and he didn't have to come out. So he was happy enough for that. And are people coming um, into the shop? Sorry? Are, the peop- are people coming into the shop? Oh, yeah, 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 they're coming in, yeah, yeah, sure. But we're cheaper than the, the local um, pharmacies, you know? Mm. Um, so people are happy to um, to pick them up with their groceries and stuff. So just like, you know, it's providing a service. We, we, we do roast dinners every day of the week, and um, that's what the people want, you know, and a fair price. Yeah. I mean, I bought, I bought those antigen tests um, well before Christmas, and they were nearly five euro each. So selling them for six euro, making a euro back on them to um to, to buy them all again for the staff, you know? And I suppose, um, you know, it's, it's difficult at the minute to, to stay in business for people, so I suppose you have to try and find ways of, of keeping afloat. Oh, you have to. We have to try everything. Sure, we, we only started doing delivery when we were closed down, you know? Mm. Um, so, like, you have to try everything. Um, but, look, we got good support from it. Um, I know the delivery thing, 50 euro, kind of spun out of control, but sure... Hopefully this kind of puts it to bed now, do you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. And are you getting any personal flack from people or is it all just about the business itself? Ah, like, it's, it's just online stuff. I suppose people read something, don't know the ins and outs of it and then just... Um, yeah. Do you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and just with regards to the business, how are things going at the minute? Um, it's, it's going okay, yeah. Do you know, we got through... Obviously, we got through a tough time when we were totally closed. Um we got a lot of local support. Um, since the the bar opened, it's been good. Obviously, the eight eight o'clock thing doesn't doesn't really mm. didn't really help us over Christmas, you know, because that was our busiest time, eight to, to half twelve. But sure, we just have to roll with the punches, you know. Yeah. Um, all our staff stayed with us. To be fair, jeez, um, uh, we wouldn't be there without them. You know, so investing in antigen tests for them was, was easy, an easy decision, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we were speaking at the top of the show about staff shortages and I suppose, like, providing antigen tests and stuff like that are, is helping you, but are you experiencing the staff shortages as well? Um, we didn't as much as other people did. Um, we're very good staff, very strong staff. They stayed with us and, you know, as you said there, like, you know, they're kind of, they're very happy knowing that the person standing next to them did a test that day when they came to work mm. as, they, as they did so you know the, the, the fear element is kind of kind of wanes a bit you know I know they still have to deal with customers and the unknown and but like they're at arm's length with the customer really you know it's yeah. more working together knowing that the person next to you if they're test positive they go home and they know they're positive you know it's um yeah. It, it puts them at ease, you know. Well, listen, Adam, thank you very much for joining us on air. I know that you were saying there that uh, you were bombarded by requests from the media and uh, I know a lot of people would uh, say no. <laughs> some, some ministers would uh, duck, duck out of that uh, request to come on the air. So listen, thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Fiona in for PJ today and just to let you know that the Premier League Live is back this Saturday on 96FM.ie with Trevor Welsh powered by Talk Sport and we bring you live coverage of Manchester City versus Chelsea at 12.30, Norwich versus Everton at 3 and Aston Villa take on Man United at 5.30pm. The Premier League live online with now, your sport on your terms. Stream only the games that matter to you most with now. Listen Saturdays on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96fm.ie. We were speaking earlier there about the leaving cert and the AISTI had said to us that um, they couldn't do the predicted grades this year because the students that are doing the leaving cert this year, um, many of them didn't sit the junior cert because of the pandemic and uh, Michael has been in touch to say good morning. The most recent figures I could find dating back to 2019 show that 72% of students do transition year. This obviously means that the majority of students sitting the leaving cert this year sat their junior cert without interruption and that's kind of on the same vein as what uh, Stacey was saying to us earlier um, with regards to close contacts, somebody has been in touch to say those better grade masks they're on about for non-symptomatic close contacts, wouldn't it help if we were told where we could get them does anyone know, does anyone know where you can get them? 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96, I'm told that Boots have the FFP2 and Eurogiant have KN95. Thank you for that, Fergal. Um, and if anybody else has um, any other uh, place that might have them, you can get in touch 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 Now, we've heard a lot about Lyme disease and about uh, chronic illness, and um, Claire Kelly has written a book about her own experience. Good morning, Claire. Oh, hi, Fiona. Thanks so much for having me on. And thanks for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning, Claire. Claire, you spent most of your 20s suffering with really chronic uh, pain and illness and being told time and time again that every test came back with a, a clear result. What was that like? Yeah, so I suppose it was very, very stressful and it was very scary as well because what happened was my symptoms kind of started at the age of 22, but as each year passed, they snowballed and they became more and more intense and I just didn't know what was going on. And with each year, the results were coming back negative. So it kind of started off with my hair thinning it moved into digestive issues. Then it was kind of crippling fatigue, then all over aches and pains. And finally, it finished off just towards my 30s with um, neurological issues like an inability to stay awake, blurred vision, memory loss. So yeah, it was very, very scary and it just was spiralling out of control. So when did you discover that you had Lyme disease? Yeah, so it was a long journey to get to there. So basically between the ages of 22 and 30, I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome, chronic acid reflux, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, idiopathic hypersomnia. And then finally, at the age of 30, I was diagnosed with chronic Lyme infection or MSIDS, which is a mouthful, but it basically Mm. means multiple systemic infectious disease syndrome. So it's a bit like Lyme disease is a part of an overall picture. So there was actually a collection of infections and toxins that led to the illness. And yeah. what happened then? Like what kind of treatment did you need to get then? Or yeah. you- so 
Yeah, so then when I got that diagnosis, I was very hopeful because I suppose with the diagnosis I'd gotten before, I wasn't really sure what path to take or how I could um, make an improvement in my life. Whereas with chronic Lyme infection, I knew there was an infectious disease doctor in Dublin. Mm. So I was very hopeful. I I, I took eight months from work. Um, you know, I thought I'd make a full recovery, return to teaching. And when I seen the doctor, he said that he'd be addressing the Lyme infections with multiple antibiotics, focusing on my immune system, with low-dose naltroxone and finally fighting inflammation with herbal supplements. So I took on that program for 15 months, if not a bit longer. But unfortunately, even though it can work for some, which I hope it works for lots of people, mm-hmm. but for me, because I could have been bitten at any stage, really from the age of nine, because that's when I moved to Galway to a particular little town where there, there seems to be a lot of Lyme infection and um I suppose it had done a lot of damage to my body and it, it the longer you have it, the more difficult it is to uh, get under control and to treat. So, so your organs um, were already yeah. damaged because of the length of time it took to yes. diagnose you. And That's um, it. Like you, you said that like in the early days, even breathing hurt. So are you still experiencing mm. such severe symptoms? Yeah. So what I feel like has happened now, but again, this is why it's so tricky because there's no 100% accurate Lyme blood test. So I can't tell whether the Lyme has been eradicated from my system or it hasn't. There's just no test that's accurate out there, even in clinics abroad. So uh, where I am at the minute is the consultant feels like, you know, for the most part, the Lyme has been treated. However, what we're dealing with now is the, as you said, the fallout from all of the inflammation and damage in the various organs. So the problem at the minute now, I manage my symptoms with holistic treatments, but it's mostly fatigue. So uh, this is me up early. I just sleep and sleep and sleep. It's mm. like having a permanent flu. So I don't even know if I'm fully awake now. I tend but to wake up But thank you for getting up early to, to come on oh. and talk to us. <laughs> I, I love court people, so I was happy out, but I, I tend to wake up around midday. And if I force myself to wake up earlier, so like, for example, yesterday, I was very lucky. I was chatting as well and I got up at eight and the whole day, the pain was so, it was, I'd say, five times as in, as intense and the fatigue too. And then I have other problems, like, for example, fluid gathering around my belly, my sides, my lower back. Um, and you're just always trying to mask that with baggy clothes, just all of these unusual symptoms that I suppose if I don't go to my holistic treatments, I start to become more and more ill again. Whereas with them, I can kind of keep it at an even keel. So yeah, it's just, you have very little window in your day to be alive as such because you're kind of getting up and then by the time you shower, you need a nap after that. And then the next thing you know, you know, you're just trying to do a little walk and then it's kind of TV dinner bed repeat. So it's 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 quite tricky. Yeah. So are you able to work? Yeah. Yeah, so I worked, I uh, it was a real struggle. I was a primary school teacher and I absolutely loved it. And I made adjustments. So I, you know, I started to job share. Um, I did everything I could to make it work. But by the time I got to 30, I was just so ill. I just could not function. And the consultant said, you know, maybe it's best that you just rest, try and heal. And then I never unfortunately got back because um, I just was so ill. I just couldn't get through the the medical test assessments to be safe enough to teach. So I actually had to leave my teaching job. Um, but I, I, I suppose it's for the best because really I, I couldn't, I couldn't function. Yeah. And you've decided so to write about your, yeah, I was just going to say that you've decided yeah. to write a book, but you look fine. Why did you want to write yeah. a book about this? 
Yeah, so I suppose, you know, when you're stuck in a situation that you just cannot seem to get out of. So the amount of treatments I've tried and I'm just so desperate to get better. So when I couldn't, when I felt stuck in that sense of things, I kind of said, well, what's the best I can make out of this situation? So I suppose I'm in bed a good bit of the day. So I decided, you know, over COVID, why not like take out the laptop and just do a few pages each day? And I just said, there's so many people out there who have illnesses where they don't know if they'll ever get better. And you can feel so alone um, because obviously most of my friends, I'm 34, are all healthy and living full lives and you just feel just completely isolated. So I wrote the book for people, I suppose, like me as well as to go back in time and give it to 22 year old me because I could have done with it back then. So it's not just for people who have Lyme disease or who suspected they might have Lyme disease. It's for anybody who has a chronic illness. Yeah, that's it. Exactly. So even people with lupus, arthritis, long COVID, MS, the list is endless. People just where every single day when you wake up, you're just trying to make it through the day. And it's just it just feels endless. You just don't know when the end is in sight. And it's just to give people hope that, you know, something could come along and we just have to stay strong and hope that things will change for the better. Yeah. Because it's not just the physical pain that you're dealing with. It obviously has its toll on your mental health. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. But you also say that it affects, you know, financial circumstances, Mm -hmm. dating, traveling, uh, you know, you have to fight for a diagnosis, managing your treatment plan, uh, finding meaning, facing setbacks and dealing with hurtful comments. I mean, that's an awful lot for somebody who Mm. is dealing with a physical illness to try and deal with as well you know to cope with yeah that's it yeah so I suppose in the book that's why I divided it into three parts I just went through my story so people could relate to it then I went through the practical aspects of living with a chronic illness so I give people advice on their entitlements or how to deal with financial worries um, which is a big one because you you know your your income is really affected Mm -hmm. and then I talk about you know getting the most from medical appointments and all bits like that and then in the social aspect of the book and the emotional impact 
impacts. I really delve into how to deal with people who make comments. Now, they mean so well, but they can be quite hurtful. And I literally list, I'd say, about 50 comments over the years that have been said to me and how initially I would explain myself and I'd be embarrassed and I think oh I'm lazy and I'm you know useless mm. whereas over the years I learned no I'm doing my best and how to kind of respond to those people in a really gentle nice way but also to kind of not defend myself but to kind of try and get um, you know it's hard enough basically to survive day to day without dealing with kind of well-meaning comments you know. Yeah. And what, like people would say say that you're like accuse you of being lazy because you're not going to work is that the kind of thing that yeah you, you you'd get comments like you know you look fine would you not just you know fake it till you make it and just mm-hmm. go on back into work sure before you know it you'll be right as rain again or just get out there for a walk or have a bit of sugar sure if all your test results are fine are you sure this isn't in your head and things like that and uh, I did for three years I firmly believed it was in my head and I went to therapy and I read books and I do you know what happened I just got sicker and sicker because I pushed myself more and more physically and I got myself to a place where I just I was so so ill mm. so just if anyone's listening believe yourself and trust yourself in in your body and how you feel and just make the changes now so I kind of look back and I go I really shouldn't have been so hard on myself but I did think it was all in my head so I was angry with myself so yeah so that's kind of yeah I keep talking to younger me <laughs> and you obviously coped okay with the dating challenges because you're now married to Ben <laughs> yeah, I know. I was lucky in that department. Um, I met Ben in April and I suppose I became quite ill in the summer and as the years went on. So to be honest, he doesn't know me any other way. I think he's just like, I'm married to this woman who just sleeps every um, but some men might love that free time. yeah he gets a lot of free time to himself and uh, things like that so, uh, so no I was very very lucky but um, you know I'd be in different support groups and you would hear very sad stories so I just you know kind of say to people keep going you know you know, you do you do deserve it so yeah so it's tough and Claire yeah. just, the book is called But You Look Fine and it's available on um, butyoulookfine.ie website is that right you can buy the books on that that's uh, it yeah 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 you can buy it on that website and it's 17 euro and then I just put them in an envelope here in my kitchen and I post them then so if there's any publishers listening I'm always looking for a publisher but at the minute I just print them in very small batches and then post them and print so, them and that kind of thing so you put this together yourself completely then and uh, completely from scratch. Now I did email 101 publishers, but I know it's very difficult, and 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 you know I'm not li- I'm literally not a, a writer as such. Mm. And then what I did was I just printed them in a little company in Dublin, and then um, Ben goes up with me, and we just collect them in boxes, and then just you know buy them in small batches so the house isn't full of books, <laughs> and uh, then post them off. Yeah, that's what we do. Well, listen, Claire. Best of luck mm. with the book, and best of luck with everything else. And that website again, it's but but you look fine. .ie for anybody listening today who might want to buy that book and it's 17 euro. That's it. Thanks so much, Fiona. Claire Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning, Claire. Earlier I was speaking to Adam from the Beer Garden and Turner's Cross who was explaining why he was charging. Um, he, he got a lot of backlash online yesterday uh, when an advertisement was up that he was selling antigen tests and it was 50 euro for a pack of five. But he was explaining to me there that uh, that was to cover the delivery uh, cost for um, uh, having them delivered to people. And Natalia has been 
been in touch via Facebook to say just listening to Adam from the Beer Garden in Turner's Cross and I must say the people working in there are doing an amazing job and when all this COVID started before Deliveroo came into this shop and beer garden staff were delivering food and groceries for free for local people so fair play to all of them and keep up the good job you are doing for locals and um, I'm sure that that would be welcome uh, uh, news Natalia for Adam because he did say that he got a lot of uh, flack online yesterday and uh, people didn't get the full story so thank you very much for that and thank you very much for getting in contact with us on the opinion line 0818 96 96 96 or 0833 96 96 96 Now can you parent without losing your cool? Bethan O'Riordan is a psychotherapist here in Cork and has written a blog about called Is It Possible to Be a Parent and Not Lose Your Cool? Good morning Bethan. Hello, good morning. Good morning. Is it possible to parent without shouting at your children? <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Well, I know it is, but I, I think the important thing to say as well is that we're humans and part of being human is that we lose our cool. Mm. And one of the most important things that children do need is an authentic parent. Like this, I'm not saying to people, right, just go and scream at your kids, your grand. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that, is, that is clearly not what I'm saying. But you know, children learn how to have emotions from the environment that they grow up in. So one of the biggest things we can ever teach children is how to have emotions but not feel shame for them. Like shouting at your kids per se is not a problem, but how bad you feel after it is the problem. And this is what we don't want to teach children. You know, we all have an inbuilt mechanism within us called guilt. You know, we don't uh, we don't need someone to make us feel bad. We already have it built into us. Mm. So I think if we do shout, the most important thing a parent can do is to repair. And by repairing, we don't go into this over groveling, apologetic thing. So our kids are looking at us like we have seven heads. We just simply say, I'm really sorry. I just lost it then, didn't I? Mm. And that's it. And I suppose by saying sorry as well, it it gives them a a valuable life lesson as well, that if they do something that they probably shouldn't be doing, that, um, you know, that they can apologize and it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it, it is kind of, you know, like this is life, right? They're going to shout, they're going to feel bad, mm. you know, and, and if and, and, and if we can normalize that. But I think the most important thing a parent can do is to take responsibility for themselves. So what I mean by that is to look at your triggers, you know, look at why are you shouting? What are the parts of your day that annoy you the most? You know, and I give you an example from my life this morning, even if that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was a little tired. I was a little tired waking up today. The eight-year-old was on a slower than a ghost she was moving slower than a glacier today and you know that you know they should have been out the door two minutes ago and suddenly she appears with a hairbrush and she's like mom do you mind do you mind doing my hair for me you know and, and because as humans we're made up of all these range of emotions the first thing that I thought was oh my god would you go away and the second thing I thought was of course I can help you you know, so it's about mm. choosing what voice we tune into within our minds. And I helped her and she went. If I'd have given out and shouted to her, well, it's her first week back at school. She's tired. I'm tired. But, you know, it probably wouldn't have helped. And isn't there those kind of peak times during the day like that? Like that? Everybody knows when you're trying to
to get the kids out the door to school in the morning and you're under time pressure and you know you have to get to work yourself you have to get them out the door on time and they're trying to yeah. get dressed and they come in with different socks on or you know like they're, yeah. there's toothpaste all over on. the bathroom or nothing on yeah and uh, yeah. you know like you're just your natural instinct is to just shout to say come on come on and then again like in the evening times you're tired you've done a full day of work and you've you know got yeah. the dinner out or whatever and done homework homework don't even get me started on the homework but um, and they're tired and do you know like they maybe are on a go slow as you say and it's just like it's a natural thing to maybe shout without even realising it yeah, well, I mean, it's really tricky for, for, for everybody because, you know, the fear response, which does come out in shouting with us, it's it's the first part of our brain that switches on. So it's kind of like, you know, if I'm going to the gym and I want to change um, a muscle in my body, I have to work on that one part of my body. I don't go to a gym, so I can't give exact examples. <laughs> like I may, I, may, I may have to do a bicep curl or something, but it's the same with our brain. It's practice. You know, it really is practice. But the other thing as well that goes on in parenting and this maybe isn't spoken about so much, is that as our children grow in age, our bodies as the parents have an emotional memory of what it was like to be that age. So you know the expression, did you ever open your mouth and your mother fell out? Well, yes. (laughs) And it happens because we are remembering what it was like to be that eight-year-old on a go slow. And often our parenting default mode is our mum's voice or our carer's voice or our dad's voice. And that falls out of our mouth. But perhaps that isn't the most helpful thing. And perhaps it's not the parent that we actually want to be. So, uh, you know, yes, it does happen automatically, but often it's kind of like a pre-programming that we just haven't learned to undo yet. So it is possible to change. You say in your blog, um, and, and it's probably it's a good tip actually for anyone, not just a parent, but um, anybody in any situation, an essential practical tip for anger management is to practice walking away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just stops us saying or doing things that we're going to regret when, you know, later on in the day. And, you know, really in the heat of the moment, you know, if, if it has, you know, like if you can feel all the senses in your body letting you know, like you're going to get to that point where you're going to explode, it just isn't helpful for anybody. And really, you know, if, if you can just walk away now, I know if you've got small kids, they will just follow you and that's not what you need. <laughs> you know, like there is, there is no hiding. But, you know, if you just walk away and take a breath and then turn around, then you're this helpful parent that they're actually looking for. You know, which, yeah. So Bethan, um, you said that if you want to be a calmer parent, you can get free steps to, five steps to calmer parenting now. Is that on your, your Instagram? Yes, it's on my Instagram and it's on my website, which is my name, BethanOReardon.com. And I think it's a really great place to start. Someone someone sent me a message on Instagram after and they said, oh my God, it's a revelation because it talks about knowing when to walk away, figuring out what your triggers are. You know, if the morning time or if the evening time totally depletes you, then you have to do something really small to build um, your internal reservoir back up. So for me, I drop the kids to school and then I come back and have a cup of tea and it helps me resettle myself or if I don't have time I just have a cup of tea in the car in my little whatever it is takeaway doodah but not, yeah. but not takeaway <laughs> eco-friendly one <laughs> and uh, you know but it, but it's all about balancing the internal the internal parent stuff and that is exactly what the five steps does brilliant Beth Ann listen thank you so much for joining us this morning on the opinion line can we just talk
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. An artist known as a consummate performer who captivates audiences time and time again, Declan O'Rourke returns to Cork in 2022 for what should be a fantastic show live at St. Luke's. Declan plays at the Northside venue on Friday, March 11th with tickets on sale now. Access all areas. Gavin James is set to play two Cork shows at the Opera House, taking place on the 2nd and 3rd of April. Tickets are now on sale from the Opera House box office. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or any live streaming events coming up by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Fiona in for PJ for today only. PJ will be back again tomorrow. Um, now, we were speaking there to uh, Beth Anna Reardon and I was just talking to Wayne there about, <laughs> you know, certain incidents like homework where you just, the natural instinct is to, to shout at your kids. But, uh, you know, you do ha- kind of have to... Uh, realise that it's a busy day, a busy day and that everybody's tired but if you want to get in touch with us 0818 96 96 96 0833 96 96 96 Now I Wish was founded in Cork in 2015 and they're going from strength to strength and joining me now to talk about their latest project is Sarah Falconer who is the project manager Good morning Sarah Good morning Fiona, how are you? I'm very well, thanks for joining us this morning. Tell us about this programme. It involves um, the the um, Presentation Secondary School in Ballyfihan here in Cork and the Archbishop Reardon High School in San Francisco in USA. Yes, correct. Um, just um, to let you know, I suppose a bit of background and I wish first for context, um, you're right, it was set up in 2015 and our goal um, is to encourage teenage girls to consider pursuing a career in science, technology, engineering and maths, or known as STEM. You would have probably heard it referred mm. to as STEM. Um, and we hold annual showcase events where we feature um, female role models in STEM and use them to inspire and encourage the girl to consider these careers. So this year we've expanded our programming and this is where the twinning program comes in that you referred to there. Um, it's a twinning initiative between Ireland and the US. We're piloting it in a Cork school in a uh, transition year uh, class for, from presentation secondary school in Ballyfahan and with the female sophomores from Archbishop Reardon High School in San Francisco, USA. So the girls were working together. They're going to pick one of three STEM-based themes Uh, transformative technology, the world through my eyes, or protecting the planet, and they're going to explore it over several weeks. Uh, They're going to work on a joint presentation, and then they're going to present that at our showcase event on the 10th of February. It's an incredible opportunity for them. They're going to get a chance to speak in front of an audience in excess of 15,000 students and leaders in STEM. And Um, so what's the aim of the programme? Why did you guys decide to set this up? Well, we the idea is to, um, by twinning the schools, we'll get a chance to increase the awareness of the, the different STEM opportunities and practices across the globe. Long term, we'd love to create a network of global schools. They have different approaches and experiences, and it gives the students on opposite sides of the Atlantic an opportunity to connect with each other, to explore STEM themes, and just really to give them a sense of what a career in STEM might mean to them. And Sarah, was, since you set up in 2015, um, have you noticed an increase in female students taking on STEM subjects in school? 
Um, well, what, what we've seen from our own point of view is um, an, a lot of increased interest in our own programme. So we started in 2015 with a thousand transition year girls in attendance at um, a live event in the City Hall. Mm. This year, sorry, last year in 2021, obviously with the pandemic, we were forced to um, move our event online. Um, but the numbers skyrocketed. We ended up with 15,000 girls attending and we were able to open it to the international audience. So we've seen certainly an interest from the school side, from the girls side in it, and it's been growing year on year. Um, having said that, um, there are still, it's it's a complex um, suite, I suppose, of issues that mm. create this um, lack of female representation in STEM jobs. And, you know, there are still a lot of challenges so um, while we are seeing growth in interest, um, there is a growth in take up. It's still slow and it's still not enough because we have seen a disproportionate effect of the pandemic on these, <clears throat> excuse me, on these numbers um, recently. We can see how, you know, how important that women are involved in these economies, in, in these um, mm. STEM careers so they can participate in the economies of the future. And why do you think then that there is such a slow uptake and, and you know, like it's, why is it so difficult to shift that, um, you know, change and or to shift that kind of interest in, in, in students? Is there still that whole historic thing that, uh, you know, those kind of subjects are only suitable for men? That's definitely part of it. Um, we survey the girls every year. And uh, when we surveyed them last year, 77% of them spoke about the lack of confidence they have in their ability to pursue a career in STEM. So, you know, they know it's an, they know it's important. They know it's a great area, great, uh, a growth area, mm. but they still lack this confidence. And that's a huge part of it. It's kind of a bit self-fulfilling because only 25% of STEM jobs in Ireland are held by women. Women, So they're not seeing STEM role models. You know, they don't see their mums or their aunts or their sisters in these roles. So they just don't see these roles for themselves. And we always say that, and I wish you can't be what you can't see. So how so do we change the, that? So again, we asked the girls, you know, what, what can we do to help overcome these barriers? Um, they spoke about um, the importance of being exposed to STEM from a younger age, the value of mentorships the importance of exposure to female role models. And that's something, <clears throat> excuse me, that we do. Um, we, we focus on at our annual showcase events, showcasing uh, role models in STEM women at all levels in STEM. Um, and also greater access to STEM subjects. We did um, see an issue around, and it's probably the historic, um, the historic piece that you're speaking about, an issue around availability of some subjects. 54% of the girls who wanted to do engineering, say to the Leaving Cert, just didn't have it available as a subject in their school. And we see the same around things like construction studies. Um, uh, so so, so there's, there's, there's a lot. So there's a lot yeah. of different um, things at play here. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you spoke there about your live event on the 10th of February. Is that open to all schools? So it's open to all girls' schools and girls in mixed schools. Um, <clears throat> And they can sign up at, uh, they can register for it at iwish.ie. So what this is, it's a virtual showcase event. Uh, it's a fantastic lineup. We have incredible inspiration of women in STEM. Sorry, excuse me. You're right. <clears throat> incredible inspiration of women in STEM. We actually have Mary Robinson speaking, and she's so inspiring for the girls, particularly with their climate campaigning. Mm. Climate change is a huge uh, focus, a huge theme for us this year, and the importance of STEM, uh, importance of STEM in climate change in the future. Uh, we have female engineers, entrepreneurs who built and run successful tech companies, female senior executives in pharma. Um, we have an award-winning American video game designer and she's CEO of her um, 
her own gaming company. Like we've social media hub, loads of competitions and prizes, live demos. Like it's it's a jam packed session. There's five sessions and the schools then can register for their class to attend one of the sessions. Thank you, Sarah. That was brilliant. Listen, thank you so much and best of luck with the event and with the project. That was Sarah Falconer from I Wish. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Question number nine. What is the main ingredient in guacamole? Avocado. And boat race is cockney rhyming slang for what? Quickly. Face. You're saying face? Yeah. Paul O'Connor. I hope you're going to put a smile on your boat race because you just won two thousand I believe it. That's a little bit of pressure taken off for January, I hope, Paul. Oh, Jesus, it is. Bloody Stacking up the cash. 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 The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day on Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Welcome back. Fiona in for PJ today on this Thursday. And welcome to back to the final hour of the Opinion Line on 96FM this morning. Now, um... The, joining me next is um, Stuart Clark from Hot Press uh, Magazine. Stuart, you're here to talk about a new book that you guys have brought out about Dolores O'Riordan and the Cranberries. I am indeed. Why can't we? Which was our, our lockdown project and a real labour of love. So tell us, what makes this book different? <laughs> well, I suppose for once in my life, I was in the right place at the right time. <laughs> I was a, a cub. A cub DJ and uh, journalist in Limerick in the uh, late 80s when four very hairy blokes started a band called Cranberry Saurus. Then the hairiest one of the singer left. And I thought that was it. And my girlfriend at the time at Laurel Hill School said, uh, one of the girls in my year, uh, Dolores, is going to try out for those, those guys you know. And I said, well, is she any good? Well, she has a great Ave Maria in the school choir, but I don't think he's done a, a rock and roll gig or been to one in her life. So I thought that was it. Uh, and history has shown us otherwise. And did you know when they started out that they were destined for big things? Could you see it even back then? Was it the Beatles in the cavern when I saw them supporting They Do It Mirrors in the Cruises Hotel? I'll be honest, no, because Dolores was the first time she ever sort of appeared at a rock gig was so, so nervous. Mm. She was staring at the floor, the ceiling, the drummer, anything but the crowd. And because she was so nervous, her voice was going in and out of tune. Now, I must admit, there are moments you thought that there's something there. But a wiser man than me with a better pair of ears, Pierce Gilmore, who owned a local studio called Zerick, uh, they just done their leaving certs, and he put them on a wage for, for the summer, more like pocket money, and they rehearsed in the morning and recorded in the afternoon. And we were invited up in September, three of us, uh, it was myself, a chap from Limerick Leader, and, and the future ju- um, um, uh, novelist, uh, Kevin Barry. And we were in the studio. She came out. She transformed. She looked really kind of sharp. Went mm. Thomas Tartu, 
and linked in and went straight into Linga. The first song she ever wrote actually was Linga, and the second, Dreams. So in about half an hour, they played half of the debut album. And that's when the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. I, I knew something then was, was very special about them. Yeah, that album was just absolutely phenomenal and it still sounds as fresh today as it did back then. And I think like with her voice, it was so different and it was so unique and it really just stood out at the time. I think what made it special for me was it, it was such a, a great teenage album. You know, it took me back. I'm an old man, mm-hmm. but it took me back to when I was 13 at the rugby club disco in Seven Oaks kissing Ruth Marshall. That that line, I'm just a fool for you. We've all done that. We've all been a fool for somebody, not only in our youth. So it really encapsulated what it was like to be sort of going through those teenage angsty years, but beautiful melodies. And she just had this, she, she never thought of herself as Bob Dylan. But she had this real amazing way of taking very complex human emotions and expressing them quite simply. And I think that's why people bought into Dolores and the Cranberries, because they could they could place themselves into that song. They could relate to it. Uh, and that's a real gift. And the, the book, Why Can't We, um, it includes interviews with the Cranberries and there's also, you also got help with the remaining members of, of the group, but it also looks at her solo musical um, exploits as well, doesn't it? It, it? it literally starts with those first early reviews in the Limerick Tribute and Radio Limerick 95 uh, and goes through to her very tragic death. Along the way, now we, we, tell it, we tell it chronologically through the pages of Hot Press because it's an interesting arc. And you see, she was a wonderful interviewee. I mean, I think she was offered media training and she said no. She mm-hmm. had her own opinions on everything and she expressed them and didn't mind if they caused controversy. But you can see that arc of, you know, the, the kid in the sweet shop. Suddenly you're in Los Angeles shooting a video for Linga. You've never been out of Europe before. And the director says, my friend Michael's going to pop in later. And you're going, lovely, I'll, I'll, I'll meet Michael. Michael turns out to be Michael Stipe. <laughs> um, the next day, you're, you're touring with Duran. Duran, you know, three years ago, Simon Le Bon was on your wall in your bedroom. Now he's standing in front of you. And, and Simon did a, a beautiful interview for us. He was extremely fond of Dolores. They became best mates to a degree. He was the elder brother. But when he had some personal problems, he didn't elaborate. It was Dolores who gave him the the kick up the backside and also the shoulder to cry on. And he tells this wonderful story. Um, The the level of fame she was at, she was invited along with Simon to duet on Linga when Pavarotti had a concert for the children of Bosnia in Modena. Uh, She does her song quite brilliantly. Afterwards, Princess Diana is there. Uh, in the corner, mm. everyone's too frightened to go and talk to her. Apart from who? Dolores O'Rean. Up she goes. How are you? I'm Dolores. They're giggling away. Apparently, she says to to Diana, "Let's go to the Jacks for a chat." And Diana <laughs> goes, I, I, "I'd love to break my 16 person security detail." And, and Noel from the band was saying, "Wherever you were, you, you just lose sight of, of Dolores. She was like a cat; she'd be roaming everywhere." She'd be in the middle of one social group. They should pop up somewhere else. And she treated Princess Diana the same way she would have done a fan or a hairstylist or a ticket inspector. She just liked people, was really genuine with them. 
There's a lovely quote in the book from Michael Stipe and I suppose it just kind of sums up the way she, uh, her attitude and the way she approached things in life and it was that uh, she had that if I'm going to fall on my face it's fine I'm just going to get right back up and do it again Um, and that was her attitude to everything. Yeah, just give it a whirl and you know it's easy to forget just how famous she and the band were. I mean she sang for not one but two popes uh, she guest presented on Saturday Night Live with George Clooney. Mm. Uh, she had the King of Norway bopping in front of her at the Nobel Peace Prize ceremony. Uh, cover of the Rolling Stone, um, touring with the Rolling Stones, playing in the San Siros, 80,000 people, and, and ticking off Ronnie Wood, who, who wolf whistled her as she walked past. <laughs> oh, Apparently she literally turned around and said, you dirty old man, went up and started waggling her finger. And then, of course, laughing. Now, the thing is, she was from County Limerick. She was a country girl, but she was smart. She had elder brothers, a big gang of them. So she was well able to tick off errant rock musicians and indeed errant rock journalists. I I asked one or two (laughs) cheeky questions on occasion, and she would wiggle that finger and give me the look as if to say, you you stop it right now, or you're in trouble. Mm. But there was always a a, a glint in the eye. And Stuart, it's not all the highs of the Cranberries that's documented in this book, and indeed Noel of the Cranberries has said that um, I think fans are going to really relish reliving all of the highs as well as the sadness and the pain. And there was a lot of sadness and pain in her life. That, that there really was. Um, it, it was interesting because she said sort of things to me that, you know, there, there was alarms going off. And it was only when she revealed she had been uh, abused um, by a family acquaintance that it all sort of fell into place. And she did have that time. She was such a homebody. She just adored her family. Mm. And, and funnily enough, I, I asked her once, what's your greatest achievement? And without thinking, she said, my children. And that really was her. She was a mum first and foremost. But, you know, the level of fame she had, but because she was talking about human emotions, fans didn't just want uh, an autograph. They wanted to talk to her. Mm. They wanted to share their experience, have a hug and a little cry sometimes. Uh, and, and that was difficult. If you're the boy in the band, you can just head out, go to the core of the pub and have a night out. Dolores was so famous, she couldn't do that. And she was for a period of time, trapped in her hotel room um nothing will make her death okay but i, I did have a gorgeous conversation a, a difficult conversation though with her boyfriend ole koretsky a, a lovely gentleman who is still grieving his 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 you know partner his true mm. love and he was talking about you know they were spending half their time in limerick he, he loved her family and the other half in in new york and there new york's no respecter of celebrity so you could pop into the 7-Eleven to, to buy your groceries, you'd go for a pizza, you'd go for a pint, you'd go to a gig. So she had something approaching a normal life again in New York. Musically, she was on a roll. I mean, Noel just couldn't keep up with her. He was saying it was like the early days of the Cranberries. And indeed, that last Cranberries album in the end, it's a perfect bookend to the debut record. They went back to working in a similar fashion. But it's such a good record. And, of course, it got a Grammy nomination, which was something she never had when she was alive. And it, it wasn't a token nomination. This was a, it's a great record. I also spoke to Eileen O'Reardon, her mother, who, I tell you, is a force of nature. You can see where her daughter got it from. And she was saying that what has made it a little, a little easier for her is Miley Cyrus covering Zombie. 
those 36 amazing Irish women in harmony, choosing of all the songs in the world to do dreams. Mm. And, and she feels that, you know, Dolores is kind of alive still because her music's being played on, on 96 FM. It's being played on MTV. Those songs will be played in 40 years' time. That they, They've become standards. And indeed, Eileen has given, a, I think it's a fabulous endorsement for this book, Stuart. She has said that, um, you know, that I think that Dolores herself would have been delighted with it. I, I, I think so. I mean, you know, Dolores herself loved the fact the band was staying relevant. I remember talking to her shortly after Eminem didn't just sample, but basically covered the whole of Zombie. And she was made up because she liked Eminem. She thought he was a bit potty mouthed and a bit naughty, but she she saw a good person in there. You know, she, she wasn't judgmental. The one thing as well, I have to say that you might not get, you know, entirely from her music was that she was the crack. Mm. She was just so funny. And uh, when I meet the lads, which I did quite a bit doing the book, at first it's a wee bit somber because they're still grieving too. It's it's their sister, basically, they've lost. Mm. But after five or six minutes, the stories start coming out and you just start giggling. And by the end of it, you're laughing. And that's a lovely sort of way to to remember Dolores, just being mischievous and feisty. What she learned to do quite early on in her career, which was very important, was say no. And she would put her foot down. She wouldn't do stuff she wasn't comfortable with. And she had great artistic integrity. And uh, this book, um, the Why Can't We, it contains um, original interviews with Dolores, dozens of never-before-seen pictures, exclusive memorabilia. So where can people get the book, Stuart? Well, the modern way, we're doing it on hotpress.com. Just log on and, and click through to the shop. If you happen to be in Limerick, Omani's, and if you're in Dublin, at Dubray Books, but we've been doing it through hotpress.com. Literally, as I came into the studio here to talk to you, I, I tripped over a pallet of books going to Mexico. Wow. And that really shows you just how global the appeal was. That They were truly a, a, a universal band. Fantastic. Stuart Clark from Hot Press Magazine. Best of luck with the book and thank you very much for joining us on the Opinion Line this morning. And I suppose it's only appropriate that we finish off that interview with a song from the Cranberries. We're going to play Dreams. We've had dry January and we know how popular that is with people. But what about Veganari? Am I, am I saying that right? Veganuary? Um, it's um, a craze, but that's been um, popular, I think, over the last couple of years. And joining me now is the Queen of Health, Nicola Flood. Nicola, um, Veganuary, it's uh, getting people used to a vegan uh, diet in the month of January. How popular is it now? It's very, very popular, I have to say. I see a lot of my clients that I, I work with, you know, they're, they're coming in through the doors in January going, tell me more about Veganery, Nicola, and how can I, can I do that? Because sometimes people's perception is, oh, if I go vegan or I go vegetarian, I'm going to be really, really healthy. But for me as a nutritionist, it's really coaching and educating people from that transition because you can still have a junk food diet as a, a vegetarian or a vegan. So mm. that, that's my kind of role is to really help and support people on the journey to transition. So what kind of advice would you give to people? Um, so generally, you know, if, if somebody wants to, to try it, they can definitely go, you know, full on and, and change everything all at once. But if I find with success with people is if they take one meal at a time, now, breakfast is the easiest meal probably to start with because you can have your oats, you can have smoothies. You know, generally, 
um, plant-based goodness if you research and, and you look what's into it. Another thing to do people can start with is meat-free Monday um, and maybe get the whole family or friends involved in that. So, yeah, basically small steps towards it. And just kind of preparing meals and stuff like that. I mean, for somebody who hasn't been following a vegan diet, I mean, there's so much. It's not like uh, switching to vegetarianism because you also have to consider the dairy products. So um, it's it's there's quite a transition there for, for many people. And do people find it difficult, do you think, like in the month of January? Um, you know, are they better off maybe just looking at it as a, you know, not just for the month of January, looking at it as a more kind of long term plan? I think so. You know, one of the mistakes that people can make, too, is if they label themselves, um, oh, I'm vegan now or I'm vegetarian. And sometimes it sets us up for failure, because if we don't then achieve it in the month of January, it's like, oh, my God, I didn't do it. But if we transition and we take our time with it and maybe do it on an ongoing basis, it can be really beneficial, because one of the things that people may Um, fall down in is that when you take out a protein source so if you've gone from your milk your eggs your meat and you take that out a lot of the time people go carb heavy and it just really kind of can affect their overall health and and well-being so that's why the kind of educating yourself getting books getting support and, and joining local groups on on social media is a really good one to do as well. And Nicola, why would somebody go vegan instead of just vegetarian? Like, what are the benefits to following a vegan diet? So there's there's many different types. Like, some people are into kind of animals and and the respect of animals. Other people can do it for health reasons. Um, sometimes my clients, if they've had kind of inflammation, suffering long term from sinus infections and and different ailments. They may kind of look at the, the likes of dairy groups and, and those things and, and try like, OK, I'm going to try to transition to this for an overall health um, journey. And Nicola, if people are looking at alternatives like alternatives to dairy, alternatives to meat, and there are so many options out there now and it's so easy for people mm. to, to get these alternatives. But do they need to be conscious of what they're actually buying? Are some of them pumped full of salt and sugar to make them taste better? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, I remember um, like my uncle at the moment, he's 40 years vegan. And when he started, there was nothing, there was no choice. Where we look now, you can go vegan, vegetarian today, go into the supermarket and you've got all these fake meats and fake products. Mm. But they're they're still junk food. So what we need to be careful of is that if we take out that protein source that we go in with our lentils, our tofu, our legumes, and we use those other products for treats, you know, for, you know, the, the takeaway, the burger at the weekend. Well, now I can go and I can get a fake burger and use that. So, yeah, we have to be very, very careful. And another one as well is um, when you transition to vegan is the B12 to supplement with a B12 vitamin why, as well. Why would they do that? Because B12 is in meats. And as you take that out, then. There is no B12 going in. We'd have to, you know, get a lot of different things into the diet. So it's just as really important that, that they just supplement with a B12 initially.
to do that. And ongoing, they, they remain vegan. So what advice would you give to somebody um, who is planning on doing Veganuary? Um, because obviously it's like a trend and some people might just say, all right, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. And then um, yeah. they fall off the wagon <laughs> like two weeks into it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, there's a few options. As I said, like there's loads of social media groups where they're doing vegan. Where you can jump on and do free challenges mm. to get support. Start small. Don't put pressure on yourself. If it's one meal a day, as I said earlier, or maybe it's a meat-free day, um, trying it that way. Um, I've loads of kind of free challenges on my website that people can go in and have a look at. There is a thirty-day vegetarian. Uh, vegan challenge there too which just gives recipes and it's really trying recipes um to, to find your way and like just you know you were talking there about support but I suppose it's important to get the support of your family and friends as well because I think here in Ireland in particular we have a tendency to say to people I go on sure why one, one burger won't, won't make any difference or yeah. do you know like and yeah. uh, for families who are you know if the main person is uh, providing a meal and they're like well I'm not cooking something different for you like do you know you can go and sort yourself out so I suppose it is important to get support from your family and friends yeah, 100% because, you know, if you, if you can't, it, it, again, if you've got somebody else that's cooking for you, that's a big ask as well. Mm. So, again, it's maybe even, you know, trying yourself, learning how to cook and, and cook with these new foods as well. But, yeah, definitely family support is, is definitely needed. Yeah, my little son, Nick, he's seven, nearly eight. And uh, I made a chicken roast dinner on Sunday and he declared halfway through the dinner that he didn't want to eat the chicken because he feels sorry for the chickens. But then he wouldn't eat the broccoli either. So. Oh, my goodness. It's like, it's like my daughter, uh, she's only five. And a year ago, she declared herself vegetarian. And I said, it's a pain. But he still is. So, you know, I, I feel people pain when it's trying to you know especially with children trying to make sure that they're getting all the food groups in and trying to transition mm. them as well I know so, I was like you can't just eat the potatoes there has to be more yeah. to this meal <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have to get creative creative with them <laughs> and Nicola if people want to reach out to you can they do that where do they find you Absolutely. So across social media, I'm the Queen of Health and my website is www.thequeenofhealth.ie. Lovely. Thanks so much for joining us. Best of luck with everything for the month of January. <laughs> Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Quartz 96 FM has a shiny new phone number. 0818-969696. Save it to your phone now. 0818-969696. The number you need. Hello? For Quartz 96 FM. Also with a book out is Brian Keane. Brian, uh, for people who don't know who you are, you're a qualified personal trainer, you're a sports nutritionist, you're a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and you've written this book, The Fitness Mindset, and it's all about getting um, into people's heads, I suppose, um, in order for them to be able to keep up the fitness plan that they may have started for the month of January. 
Yeah, and one of the things that a lot of people struggle with and the clients I've been working with over the years, I was a former primary school teacher, but I've been working in the health and fitness industry for the last 10 years. And it's the mindset element of nutrition that people tend to struggle with. So, Mm. you know, a lot of us know that we should move more and, you know, eat more plant-based, etc. But it's the mindset side, falling off track, self-sabotaging with diets, not using the failure risk feedback, all of these things that can potentially help you with your nutrition that people struggle with in January particularly. But this is a book that will hopefully help people throughout the year. It just is a bit more prevalent now because of the new year. Yeah, because we were just talking, I was chatting to Barry and Victoria here in the newsroom this morning about that, about January and how, you know, in November and December, we're all kind of geared towards Christmas. And then in January, we're all about, oh yeah, new year, new me. And then it comes to this time of the month and it's so dark and it's so hard to get outside and you've got no money and everybody's depressed. And, uh, you know, so it is difficult, I think, to keep going and, in, in the plan that you had set out for yourself at the start of the year. Yeah, 100%. And I think that a good way to look at nutrition and diet in particular, more so than even the training side, is that if you can't stick to it in the middle of January on a dark evening, you're not going to do it in the middle of May before holidays. It's mm. about finding something you can do now that you can potentially you know, uh, put into your life going forward. So that's including foods that you enjoy a plan that's in alignment with your goals, whatever that is, if it's fat loss or toning up or losing weight, etc., and that fits into your lifestyle and schedule. And I think finding that the entire book is designed around how do I make my nutritional plan fit into my lifestyle with those foods that I enjoy and that's in alignment with whatever my primary goal is of you know weight loss or fat loss in the case of January maybe so it's something you can do consistently over time. Brian you speak about some of the mental blocks that uh, we might have and uh, one of them is the myth of magic Monday what is that? So the myth of magic Monday I think we've all done this where we'll say right, I'm going to start a diet, but I'm going to wait until Monday to start it. And the analogy I use in the book is if I came to you and knocked on your front door and said, look, there's a million euro buried in your backyard and it's Tuesday evening. Realistically, when are you going to go out and dig it up? You're going to go out straight away. You're going to grab a shovel and you're going to go. But that's how motivation is with our diet. Sometimes we feel really motivated on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. Mm. And going from zero to one and getting started is the hardest part. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is don't let that myth of Magic Monday come. Because if you're feeling motivated today, you should start today, whether it's Tuesday or Thursday or Friday or whatever it is, because you might not feel motivated on Monday and then it's even harder to get up and running. A lot of us, again, myself included, have done it, where Monday comes around and you're like, no, I'm not going to bother. I'm actually not feeling it today. Whereas if you had started the day you felt motivated, at least you'd be up and running with nutrition or training or whatever it is you were feeling motivated with at the time. Because you might feel that bit sluggish on a Monday, especially if you've had, uh, you know, a few drinks over the weekend and you've had loads of rich food over the weekend and you're kind of saying to yourself, well, do you know, I'm going to start on Monday, so I'll eat and drink everything now over the weekend. And then Monday comes and you're just, you're not able, you know, your body's not able. Yeah, we've all been there. We've mm. all been there. And, and something that is always worth doing as well is... I try and get people I work with and I talk about in the book to avoid that last supper mentality, you know, that I start the diet on Monday, which can lead to that a massive amount of rich food and loads of alcohol or whatever it is on the Saturday and Sunday, because you know, you're starting to diet on Monday. And the analogy I use in the book is like, you know, trying to run a marathon, but 
chopping off one of your legs before you run the marathon. Like mm. you might get to the finish line, but you've just made it considerably harder for yourself. And that's what can happen sometimes with that last supper mentality where it's an all out near binge on Saturday and Sunday because you plan to start on Monday, which also doesn't help the case if you're talking about weight loss, fat loss, or just feeling better with your food choices, etc. Yeah, because I always kind of think it's a bit strange that we say, right, the 1st of January, I'm going to start this whole, you know, clean living and uh, healthy eating and the house is still full of chocolates over Christmas. So, do you know, like we're there trying to get rid of it all on New Year's Eve and like, God forbid we throw it out because we hate waste. So you're shoving like a whole box of roses into you on New Year's Eve. But um, I actually, this year, because we had so much stuff left over that we didn't even buy that people had given to us, I put them away and um, they're sitting up at the top of the shelf, but I come home every day and I'm looking up at them saying like, oh God, I should have actually put them out of sight. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's the dangers in the dose, really. Like a whole box of quality street or roses, yeah, not going to be ideal. But, you know, a couple of them is not going to be a problem. One of the things I've tried to talk about in the book is this removal of, you know, good and bad language when it comes to food. Like chocolate bar isn't a bad food. Like if it's the thing that helps you stay on plan, it's something you really enjoy. Like I have a sweet tooth. I have sweet teeth. Like I have to have a little bit of chocolate every day or I can't stick to any nutritional plan. Right. And if it's something that you, you need to include, it's it's something you can do, you know, don't separate those foods into good and bad categories because that's not helpful either. That's actually welcoming to hear, Brian, because I am um, different for the chocolate as well. Like, can I come home from work every day and I say, right, I'm going to go for a walk, but I might have something out of the, one of the kids' selection boxes at the minute before I go for the walk. <laughs> but, but, but that's the thing. And like, they're soul food, you know, S-O-U-L. Mm. Like, they're, they're food that you feel good when you've had it. Like, I think my life, I'd be considerably more miserable if I couldn't have a bit of chocolate every day. And I just don't think it's worth the trade-off. So I think factoring it in is the key. You talk as well about self-sabotage and learning to take a break and not quit. And I think that, um, do you know, we always say, right, okay, I think it's easy to have a routine during the week if you're going to work and, you know, you have your breaks and you have your, your dinner when you come home and then, you know, that's fine. But then it's much harder to keep that going over the weekend and we may break it and then people think, oh, do you know, I'm after breaking it now. That's that's me done. <laughs> Yeah. And a lot of people fall into that bracket. Like people I work with in programs, one of the options that I'll give them is a flexible weekend approach where there a lot of people have that where they're good Monday to Friday because of the routine and then they just fall off track at the weekend. And what I talk about in the book is just factor that in. If you know that's happening every week, you can be a bit more lenient at the weekend. It just means that you're going to be a little bit tighter with your nutrition during the week. But then you kind of have the best of all worlds. You know, I talk about things like, you know, banking calories and banking foods where you're just eating a little bit cleaner on Monday to Friday and a bit more tight with your nutrition. And then you can go out for a few drinks on a Saturday and you can go for dinner and it doesn't really halt any progress because you've factored it into your plan overall. You also speak about emotional eating and emotional hunger versus physical hunger. Yeah, I think, yeah, sorry, I did to cut across, but it's something that a lot of people have the confusion around. They, they, when I've been talking to a lot of people over the years, and a lot of this book was written off the back of working with so many clients over the past 10 years, is they would struggle with the emotional eating side and that physical hunger versus actual real hunger. And a good check in with that is you normally find that emotional hunger is very sudden. It comes on, it's normally stress related and it's very sudden, whereas physical hunger is very gradual. It builds as the day goes on. And the other check-in point with that, and I have a list of both in the book, is, you know, emotional hunger is a lot more in your head and physical hunger is a lot more in your stomach. And just checking in with that can allow you to identify the difference between the two so that you're not making 
nutritional choices based out of emotional eating or an emotional issue versus, you know, what's actual real hunger and not confusing the two. And I think with emotional hunger as well, we always turn to foods that are maybe that bit more stodgy or more sugary or more full of salt. Yeah, and I think, yeah, 100%. And with those foods, again, down to the not breaking them into good and bad categories, like those, I have no issue with anybody ever having those foods in the plan. Like there's no food in the book that I talk about that's off limits. I'm like, yeah, you probably shouldn't go and have fast food three times a day or eat the entire tin of quality street. That's not going to be helpful either. Or having 10 chocolate bars, but a small bit of it's going to be fine. But I also wouldn't, if it's emotionally driven because of a lack of stress management techniques or your, your inability to handle stress, which we're all like that. We all have that. It's about finding what works for you when it comes to stress management techniques. That can go a long way towards at least eliminating some of those emotional eating decisions that you might make or they're not, don't feel like decisions at the time, but emotional eating patterns that can come up. At least you can identify that, put the stress management techniques in place. And if you want to have those carby foods, salty foods, sugary foods, have them because you want them, not because you need them because you're reacting out of an emotional state of something stressful that's happened. Okay. So Brian, remind us again the name of the book and where we can find it and where we can get it. Thanks so much. Yeah, The Keen Edge, Mastering the Mindset for Real Lasting Fat Loss. It's available in all bookstores, Eason's Online, Bookstation, Amazon, everywhere books are found. Fantastic. Brian, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the Opinion Line this morning. That was Brian Keane. He's also written The Fitness Mindset for anybody who uh, may have that book already. It's very, very, excuse me, it's a very good book um, and is available in all bookstops, in, in all bookstores as well. Thank you for that, Brian. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Well, it must be the longest lotto rollover in history. Uh, the Irish National Lottery jackpot has been rolling now since June and it's capped at 19 million since October. Um, but the National Lottery say that it will be won this Saturday. Sarah Orr of National Lottery joins me now to explain why that is. Sarah, good morning. Hi, Fiona. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. and Thanks for joining us. Is it the longest rollover ever, Sarah? <laughs> it is. It certainly is. So, yeah, the, the past few months have been completely unprecedented. So, you know, yeah, we, we never expected it to go on this long. So we're delighted to actually be able to announce that, you know, it's guaranteed to be won. So the 19.06 million will definitely be gone this weekend. And how can you guarantee that? Like what way does that work? So the way it works is, so say, for example, you know, if someone actually does match all six numbers, you know, that the usual way to win the jackpot, um, mm. they'll, of course, become Ireland's largest ever lotto jackpot winner. But if, you know, obviously we haven't seen anyone match all six numbers for since June of last year. So if no one matches all six numbers this weekend, what will happen is the entire jackpot prize fund will actually flow down to the next highest tier at which there is a winner. So say, for example, if no one matches six numbers, but if we do see winners at the match five plus bonus tier, that's exactly where the where the prize fund will flow down to. And again, if there's no match five plus bonus winner, it'll flow down to the match five um, prize tier instead. So it's definitely going to be one. <laughs> Sarah, has that ever been done before? 
This, well, this, you know what, this it's actually a change. We had to get a change in the game rules to be able to actually um, to do the, the will be one draw. So obviously, you know, we know that the players are excited to, to actually see that, you know, to see the jackpot be won. Like, you know, it's, it's mm. been going on for quite some time. So what will actually happen now in the future? So, you know, it, it has been such a long time. So jackpot rolls um, in the lotto won't go on as long if, if this ever happens again. So say, you know, the way like the cap is at the 19.06 million mm. now. So if, if we do ever hit that amount again um, and go over that amount, so we'd obviously get a new jackpot cap then but it won't keep rolling for as long as we've seen so instead it would only roll for a maximum of five draws and if still after the fifth draw if no one has matched all six numbers it'll slow down to the next highest tier so we'll never have a rollover like this again then (laughs) no we we won't have once of this again Like there was a lot of talk about this um, over the last couple of months and people making all kinds of claims and accusations. But um, like the the amount of numbers now that are in the draw, like um, why did the lotto decide to, to put so many numbers into the draw? Like in, you know, it's up at, what is it, 42 now or is it 46? I'm not a regular lotto well, player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Do you know what? So there, there were um, an extra numbers added in. Now, that was actually back in 2015. Mm. Um, so the reason that they were actually added in, so there was actually, you know, there was a serious decline in the game. Um, so that actually had a big effect on the average jackpot size. Right. Um, and of course, it actually did affect the amount that was going to good causes as well. But, you know, since 2015, we have had, like, even though obviously this role has gone on so long, we have had 67 lotto jackpots uh, won since then. So the odds of winning the lotto jackpot, they haven't actually changed since 2015. So I know there's been lots of talk about the jackpot and, Mm. you know, there's been lots of attention on it. But no, the odds haven't changed since then. And like even in in 2020, we saw 19 new lotto millionaires um, and 11 of those would have been jackpot winners. But even in 2021, when there was only five lotto jackpot winners, we still saw 17 lotto millionaires being made as well. So there are still prizes being won there. But um. Yeah, at least, you know, at least it's good news for this weekend anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. And uh, yeah, like we had, I took a call there the other day from a man who was talking about the amount of money that's been made by the National Lottery with this rollover. But you mentioned there about the good causes and a lot of the money does go to good causes around the country and different charities. Exactly. Yeah. So there's actually, do you know that this actual lotto jackpot roll sequence, um, it's actually raised just over 53 million for good causes. So that amount is exactly what will get transferred to the exchequer. And then that'll be distributed to the different communities and groups around the country through the good causes fund. So there has been a big, um, you know, obviously a big contribution from um, this, this jackpot roll. Fantastic. So that's, that's really good. So all our money is going to good causes. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's going to be helping the different communities. So that that's, you know, that's exactly what the lotto is there for. So, you know, that it's, it's doing its job for sure. Just out of interest, because I'm not a normal or a regular lotto player, but when I do go in to play it, I just do a quick pick. And is, would the majority of people play a quick pick or are you still seeing a lot of people selecting their own numbers and are they afraid to change from that in case like there's six <laughs> that they've played for the last couple of years come up? 
It's, it's, you know what, it's actually, it's a real mix. So some people, you know, they'll go into the shop and, and just, you know, say that they want a quick fix. But a lot of people do have the numbers that they've actually played, you know, for years and years. Mm. So they might have birthdays or numbers that, you know, maybe family members did as well or or that they do together. So like the, t- the typical kind of tickets that we see, it's, it's usually just, you know, your standard ticket with two lines. Um, that's the standard. So, you know, if all you need is just one ticket to have a chance um, to win, that's all you need. But yeah, it's, it's kind of it is a real mix between the quick pick and some people have numbers that they've had for years and years and years. <laughs> <laughs> and do you see a massive surge then um, in the last kind of couple of hours before the draw on a Saturday and a Wednesday? There, well, we'll always say to players that they should play early now, especially, you know, the, especially with COVID and things like that. So just with mm. going into the shop um, just, you know, to avoid cues and things like that. So there will, of course, be interest as we get closer and closer to the draw. So that's why we'd always encourage players try and play as early as you can just to avoid, um, you know, cues and, and, and different things like that. And I suppose as well, because like I'm quite guilty as well. And I'm sure there are many people out there who don't check the ticket straight away. And you could be walking around with a ticket <laughs> in your wallet for, you know, a couple of weeks before you actually check it. So you would advise people Absolutely. to check the ticket straight away. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like I've heard of that so many times, like, you know, people, people don't expect that they, they might have a ticket that's worth, you know, millions in their mm. pockets. So some people save like a lot of their tickets and they'll go into the shop, you know, and just check a few of them all at once. Um, so no, I've, I've heard of a lot of, of, of a lot of winners who have done that. Um, it might just be in their wallet for a few days or some people, it could, it could be even a little while longer. But, you know, I think after this draw, I'd say a lot of people <laughs> will be checking their tickets, mm. um, you know, quite quickly. But no, it, it is always good to make sure you do check because obviously you just have the 90 days to claim your prize. So it's important definitely to check those tickets. And even if you have like a small prize, you might have four numbers. You might you might win a fiver, but like, you know, it's important to claim these things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's it. It's yours to claim. So that's it. You have to check the tickets so you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I suppose you're expecting a massive surge in players this weekend. You'll have people like me who'll just run out and buy a ticket at the last minute and say, oh, sure, if I'm not in, win, in I can't win. <laughs> I know a lot of people will do that. We we, we call them jackpot chasers <laughs> and yeah. they, they love whenever there's a big jackpot and things like that. So, yeah, we are expecting to see that. But, um, yeah, you know, we'll always encourage people, you know, play responsibly. It, it, the lotto is still a game. So, you know, you should only play for fun. And all you need, if you are going to play, all you need is one ticket to be in with a chance, you know. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> Listen, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. And it's it's good to know that this uh, rollover that's been going on for so long and has been talked about will come to an end this weekend. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll be the winner. If you don't hear me on Monday, <laughs> 96 FM, you know, I'm gone. <laughs> I, I was the winner. We'll hear from you next weekend. <laughs> yeah. Listen, thank you very much, Sarah, or from the National Lottery. Um, so for people, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be loads of people going out and buying a ticket. I'm definitely going to be one of them. <laughs> Thank you very much for me and the team here. PJ will be back tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. See mig.ie Let's get
We're back to the music. The Quartz 96FM Music Panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Just like this. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100 euro Just Eat voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Let's get down, let's get down to business. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie.